This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Today we're discussing a day in the life of an architect. And by an architect, I mean you and me. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Lynn Williams. And today we're going to be talking about a day in the life of an architect, which of course varies wildly and can mean many different things to a great many different people. So I turned 50 years old this year. I know I don't look it. Uh, day. I uh, certainly day. don't act it. <laughs> and I have worked in a wide array of firms, different sizes, different market sectors, you name it, I've probably done it. My typical day has varied as I've moved between all these different firms over all these I shouldn't say all these years, <laughs> just a couple of years. Catalog of decades. Yeah, catalog. <laughs> all right, so you're feeling feisty. I'm already, too. I've already started putting the volumes of your biography, you know, laying that out. I know. Well, I have 900 articles on my site that do, and that only goes back to 2010. Oh, God. It took 900 articles for me to do eight years. I just don't, you'd think I had a lot to say. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> So, um, so what I wanted to talk about just to start it off was like when I started right out of school, 1992, mm-hmm. my first job was with the person who I am now a business partner with Michael Malone. He was currently working in a closet in his house. <laughs> and my first day on the job was to move him out of that closet mm-hmm. and into some temporary office space while our offices were built out. My first couple of days on the job were really wild. I mean, I went to meetings. I didn't know anything. Right? You know, the economy wasn't great in 1992. So yeah. I took whatever job I could get because there weren't that many to be had. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of retail work at the time. I'd say almost exclusively. You know, Michael's background, I don't know if you knew this. He was like a, a retail guru. Yeah. I mean, he really specialized in it. So that's what I did for the first couple of years out of school. Okay. We were, we were small. It was just the two of us for a while. Michael would leave to go on business trips because when you do retail, we do projects all over the country. He was 35 years old. Oh, okay. Right? 34. Because I got out of school when I was 24, mm-hmm. and he's 10 years older than me. So he would have been 34. Married, two small children, starting an architectural practice. It was, let me say, it was exciting times. We were making everything up as we went. <laughs> and I look back, and he seemed like such a grown-up to yeah. me back then. 35. Yeah, I look at how I was when I was 35. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I saw, I've seen Michael do some pretty silly stuff, right? So I'm not, this isn't a maturity thing. It helps that he's 6'8", right? So he just, it's, he's an imposing figure, right? <laughs> yeah, he always, I mean, you always look older being taller. Yeah, I have white hair, so <laughs> I look pretty <laughs> old. So when we finally started working, mm-hmm. he, we basically sat down and we we're in temporary office spaces. So our, our desks were doors on top of filing cabinets. Wow. And we were hand drafting. It's like school days. Yeah, school days. School. And he would say, all right, I'm leaving. I'll be back in four days. Have this all drawn. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I got it. I'm right on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd come out of school designing eco-habitat pods <laughs> on the dark side of the moon. Mm. 
And then my first job right out of school was, okay, we're doing a maternity women's clothing store and I need you to lay it out and do the elevations and put a set of drawings together. Mm. Having never done that before in my life. There was some millwork details in there. Yeah. That you know everything about. Well, so I got pretty good at figuring stuff out for myself. Mm -hmm. We had drawings laying around. And I know it's supposed to be what your day's like, but this is kind of an important precursor to kind of who I am today. Back then, it was me sitting in a, a not a very big space by myself. With, that seems dangerous. With, no, I can. <laughs> I mean, come on. I take what I I like to goof off, but I, I'm pretty serious about okay. the work. Pretty serious about the work. <laughs> and I didn't want to look stupid. That's mm-hmm. another key motivator that shows up many times in my life. Yeah. I'm motivated by looking foolish. Not that I want to look not. foolish. <laughs> it's the to not look foolish part. Yeah. And so he would be gone for days at a time. And I would just have to figure this stuff out and draw it, which turns out wasn't that hard. <laughs> I did okay. Yeah. Right? Did okay. I pretty much stayed in the beginning. I just sat in this room and I drafted all day long hmm. by myself. That's all I did. But as the firm started to get busier and busier and start to grow, next thing you know, Michael's traveling to go do some as-built in some store that's on the other side of the country. And I'm having to go present the design ideas to the client. When I was 25 years old, you know, I'm writing proposals. I'm helping do the billing for the firm. Yeah, I'm doing uh, stuff that someone... in the phone, all that. Yeah, I, I mean, I had to do it all. Whole shebang. And I mean, I, did, I wasn't on an island. You know, I never did the billing by myself, but, mm-hmm. I, but I would help. And <laughs> Michael, this is how crazy it is. Computers weren't like not that big a thing yet. Okay. Right? So he would take all the paperwork and go to a Kinko's and rent a typewriter. Ooh. And... Have you ever seen him type? He's he's a fast um, two finger typer. Two finger typer. He's oh, a two Lord. finger typer. Okay. And uh, and and the funny thing is, if you look at his keyboard, all the little like imprints of what like when you hit the A, it says like a little A on the button. Yeah. It's worn off on his keyboard. It's intense. Yeah. So if you looked at his keyboard, <laughs> it's like he's doing the whatever the typing class stuff is. Like you can't look oh, at the like keyboard coding, and know yeah. what you're pushing. So he knows where all the keys are. He just never really kind of hmm. got to the point where yeah, he can just kind of do it, do it, right? Yeah, so go to Kinko's, and we'd run Xerox copies, and I mean, it took forever to do it. And we're having to, like, literally type out every single invoice from scratch every single time. Oh, God. Yeah, so I spent a lot of my formative years, I did a lot of drafting, I did a lot of client presentations on my own. Mm-hmm. And I got good at talking to clients, even though I did have a couple of moments where I put my foot in the mouth. Okay, I'll tell you one of them. Oh, Lord. We were doing a project, and I'll call him Mr. Big Guy. <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't have a better name for him. But um, so Michael's doing what Michael does. He's selling work. He's, mm-hmm. you know, meeting people and doing stuff. And I'm going to present, and I'm working with Mr. Big Guy. And I'm showing him everything. And he and I, I mean, we're buddies. We're tight. Like best friends yeah and then michael calls me into uh like his side of the office i was like roll your chair over here we need to have a chat <laughs> five feet and he basically tells me that mr big guy doesn't want to work with me anymore and i'm like what that's not possible we're like best friends <laughs> and he goes no he says you make him feel stupid and I, go, uh, I, yeah. I go what he goes yeah when you're talking to him you speak to him in a what in such a way that makes him feel like you think he's stupid which even if that's not intentional, Michael goes, that's a problem for me. If I can't have you in front of the client talking and being the face of the firm, mm. that's a problem. 
Yeah. That was a huge wake up moment for me. And got to keep in mind, I'm like 25 years old. I mean, I'm right out of school. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm half as mature then as I am now, <laughs> which is not very mature. So it's not outside. It's not crazy to think that, yeah, I wasn't very good at it, but it's, it's kind of what I did. So part of my initial days in the day of that life, the, the day in the life of that architect who was 25 years old mm-hmm. was drawing, talking to clients, typing up invoices on typewriters, typewriters. individually. Yeah, I almost did no traveling. Michael did all the traveling by himself. So it's a lot different, you know, and things change. Yeah, and I wonder how typical that is. I mean, probably very atypical today. I can't imagine it being similar, but, well, hey, guess what? We have someone sitting here with us today. Who's that? To talk about the guy who has worked in an architecture office for two and a half years. (laughs) Yeah. Landon. So I have a little bit closer experience. Yeah, bring us into the 20th century. Yeah, it was um it was so simple. I was just doing, you know, drafting. I was looking back on it, it was so easy. I'd just do like one project for like a week. I yeah. would just spend time on one thing like you're talking developing. About, you're talking about my office. Yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you work now. Where I work now. When I first started. <laughs> yeah, Landon's first job out of school was, was with me. Here. Yeah, and at our firm. And so when you showed up, the first thing we had you do, do you remember what it was? First day? Well, it doesn't have I to be the my, first day. Uh, I remember my first day interning, I drew a parking lot. That was great. Did you nail it? Yeah, I nailed it. I got it exactly correct. Did anybody tell you like how to draw it? No, they were just like, put some lines. They're like, you have you used AutoCAD? And I was like, yes. They're like, all right, here's Revit. Who just told Who it. told you that? Audrey. Audrey, Audrey had was laying out a parking lot. Yeah. And the, where our firm is now, we were laying out that parking lot. Yeah. That was intriguing. Interesting. But anyway, after graduating... And when they actually, you know, they actually, I have a degree in architecture. They're like, okay, maybe I'll let you work on this house. Yeah. And so I was working on that one house in uh, South Lake, Texas. That's right. That was one of my projects. Yeah. So yeah, they were just. Because you were lucky when you first came to our office. For the most part, you worked exclusively with me for two years. About. Yeah. I don't think I, it was all under your projects. Or either I was doing, like, you had some CA going on, like the, the cabin in Wisconsin. Yeah. I was doing CA, just basically drawing. I say CA. I was really just drawing like SKs and yeah. kind of stuff, and then you were able to send that over. Supplemental, to yeah. When we needed supplemental yes. information, or to, mm-hmm. if we needed to identify something for record purposes, mm-hmm. and you just needed something digitally drawn, you were you were my guy. Hopping on it, yeah. So you actually worked on a handful of different jobs, but in mm-hmm. the beginning, most of your time was spent ball and chain to the computer, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. So I was helping develop that one. Essentially, I came in on like DD areas. So we were doing a lot of more construction documents and then kind of wrapping up some design stuff. Um, so I had a little bit of hand in designing some extraneous things, but it was mostly just kind of building on the set. And then we got another smaller job. So I helped kind of, that's when I started meeting with clients and things. So it's kind of, and maybe it's just a small firm. It may have been only, I was only there for like six months or a few months, three or five months. I can't remember how long it was, but. We started working on that smaller project, and you need somebody right. to come with you to client meetings. Well, you know, that's that's something I think is really important. So when I first started, and I got in front of the client really fast, yeah, and I learned communication skills and how important communication skills were early on. I think it's the number one most important skill. If you want to be successful almost in anything that you do, communication's number one, yeah. right? Number one. Mm-hmm. So I made it a point to, like, I never... I say, I never say I. I say I all the time. All about we. 
But I do. I like if even if you read the blog post on the site, I say we a lot, mm-hmm. even though it's me, right? I don't like taking. I'm not one of these people that I have to take credit for stuff. Yeah, I'm just not that way. But I also think that projects benefit when they're collaborative, and that's not just between me and the people who have hired us, but it's me and the other people working on the project. Oh yeah, and. I got a comment on the site today. I was talking about how we get off work at noon on Fridays mm-hmm. and how some people think that's a great deal. I always thought that's kind of a ripoff to the, to the employee because you work eight to six, mm-hmm. you know, all week. It's not too often that you really get to leave at noon. Like everybody yeah. seems to kind yeah. of stay like. Stick around I, for another hour, two hours. Yeah. You sometimes. know, so, so we're always kind of getting a little something extra out of you. And well, somebody left a comment on the site today. And uh, they said I, that they, one of the places they worked at had a similar policy when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And all anybody did on that Friday was talk about what they were going to do for the weekend. And basically Friday was a lost day. Okay. Yeah. And my response was, well, maybe that's your firm. Right? I mean, not his firm, the firm where you were working at. Because where I work, sure, there's some of that going on. I don't think that's unusual. But mm-hmm. everybody's kind of a grown up. We all have responsibilities, and if you don't get done what you need to get done because you want to goof off all Friday, guess you'll be coming in on Saturday to get it done. Yeah, I think right? it's like the first maybe 20, 30 minutes we're kind of doing that because everyone, it's kind of our donut day, so everyone's kind of chilling and eating their donut, but then everyone's like, all right, back to work, Yeah, or what you need to get done, yeah. Yeah, what you got to get done. Yeah. Okay, so in short order, because you were working with me, and pretty much on all my jobs, it's me and one other person, which for mm-hmm. two years was like you. So I guess the kind of like what I'm from there until what I am now, which is, you know, it's only what, two years. I'm almost hit two and a half years, I guess now. Yeah. Um, but now I've kind of transitioned into where I'm the one kind of like the only one managing a construction set or doing everything uh, in the digital world. Now that I'm kind of like moved into and become a project or almost a project architect in a way, yeah. I'm managing other people under me in a team. So it becomes a little bit more difficult teaching people to do stuff at the same time and trying to get them to do a task right. and trying to establish priorities. We shouldn't steamroll over the fact that you got licensed during this period. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. we're able to promote you as a, you know, and, and, and market you differently. You're mm-hmm. not, you're not just some guy who's sitting next to the guy. You're licensed. Yeah. You know, you're qualified. You're a knowledgeable person. Mm-hmm. What, the only thing you're lacking at this point is just kind of practical day in day out experience. Yeah, I think it's just a bank of knowledge, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, it was, and I tried to take advantage of kind of being in that younger stage where you're not. I wouldn't say you're not doing a lot. You're doing a lot of work, but you kind of have. I had a lot more free time, I guess, where I wasn't having to, you know, I wasn't managing things and having to make sure everything was together. But I had enough free time, and y'all gave us enough leniency where, um, you know, pushed us to do those exams and allowed us the time to study for them that I was, I just took advantage of that and got it done. Got it done. Yeah. Yeah. So in the first two years when you're in the office, a typical Mm -hmm. day for you would be, you'd wake up, you'd get out of bed. Mm -hmm. You would probably drink a cup of coffee, cup and a half, a cup and a half of coffee, one cup and three quarters. You live very close to the office. Yep. Well, like a 10 minute drive. Yeah. No, not even close to 10 minutes. When I first lived. Not when you were interning. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, you literally could hold your breath and get to the office. Oh, yeah. In that span of time. And, but you tend to roll in around 8 o'clock. Yeah, right at 8. Which is different. So my days always start. Like, so what time do you, your alarm, what time does your alarm go off? 
640. I'm almost out the door by 640. (laughs) Yeah, but you're an hour commute to get over here. It's not an hour commute. It's about (laughs) 20 minutes. Okay. So it's part of the reason I leave early. So I want to make sure I I can get there before I have to go through school zones. Yep. Okay. Right? Because I I don't have the patience. I don't want to start off my day mad because somebody's driving 18 in the 20. Yeah. In my mind, when the speed limit's 20, you need to be going 20. At least. (laughs) 20. And so... So I get up usually six o'clock is a late wake up for me. Okay. Get up, take shower, get dressed, do all that kind of stuff. Don't drink any coffee, no coffee. I just roll, get to the office. And I like getting to the office by about seven o'clock, seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I like doing that's twofold. One is I talk a lot. So <laughs> I need like an extra hour of time in the office just to get my work done. Just sponge it in there. Yeah. But the other part, and this really came out of uh, a pattern that I developed when when my wife and I had our daughter, Kate, and that is I wanted to get home. I wanted family time. Mm-hmm. I wanted extracurricular activities, which at, you know meant sitting on the floor playing with my kid. Yeah, I wanted that. But the nature of our profession was I needed to be able to leave guilt-free. And so leaving guilt-free for me was I put my extra hour in before everyone else got to work. And then I worked a full day, mm-hmm. and then I could leave it. At that time, we left at 5 o'clock, right? And uh, and I loved it. It was important to me. But, yeah. you know, my daughter's 14 years old now, and the blog is 10 years old almost. Nine years old. Nine years old. Mm-hmm. So I started that when my daughter was one, right? And so a lot of my nighttime activity was spent learning how to do that, process photos, take pictures, write blog posts, market them properly, tag them, SEO, all that kind of garbage. Yeah. That was a big chunk of what my nighttime activities are. But back to your job kind of now. So mm-hmm. you traveled with me to distances far <laughs> and beyond. Yeah. We parked you on a job site, beautiful job site for a week. Mm-hmm. Where you some nice construction? Where you fished and no, drafted construction administration? What are you talking about? <laughs> you did actually. You didn't you oversee the installation of a last minute handrail? I did. Yes. Just so we can get past inspection. I, uh, I remember the contractor was making a comment about the drawing and not having some dimension. And he's like, "Man, this drawing is great, but I really need this other dimension right here." I was like, "All right, good to know," because I drew this one and <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, you know, slacker. You got to learn that stuff. No, it's just added information. Well, it does speak to the fact that being in the field yeah. contributes to your skill set, mm-hmm. seeing it. My first job, first couple jobs really out of school, I stayed in the office all the time. If I wasn't meeting mm-hmm. with the client, I never went to job site. So let me jump forward to middle management, you know, in mm-hmm. the career. So yeah. trying trying to hit the arc of what, what the different... You know, so when you're right out of school, most of what you're going to be spending your time doing is a lot of drafting work, a lot of building up your skill set, learning, getting exposed to as much different stuff as you Mm -hmm. can. Well, and the only time that really seems to change is my experience was when you worked in a smaller firm and more people had to wear or fewer people wore more hats. So the need for you to take on certain responsibilities that you definitely may not have been ready for, but were forced into action have to do with small firms, yeah. right? It's so like oh, yeah. me writing proposals. That actually became an issue. When I started to change jobs, I think I said, we talked about in the last podcast that, you know, in like a, a 12-year window, I had like eight jobs or something. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I kept my first job with Michael for three years. And then I went like the next seven years, like with a new job every single year. And a big part of that was I was bored because they'd want me to do like a thing. And I was used to doing all the things. Okay. Right. So it didn't hold my attention. And I kind of went, all right, I got this. I really want to write those proposals. No, you know, it wasn't about, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't about, I hate write. Well, I don't hate it. I don't hate it now. Oh yeah. It's just part of it. But, but it was the, it was the idea that I needed the distraction. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do one thing. And you know, in a larger firm, they tend to seem to want to compartmentalize people and saying, you're going to be the best person in the country at this thing. Like yeah. that's what we need from you to be the very, very best. It's a really good business model. It's a great Make business model. a lot model. of money. Yeah. But in a business model like our office is mm. I need you to be able to do everything. Yeah. So it's the jack of all trades, master of none. But the thing that makes you better than average is the dedication, the yeah. ethic. I outwork people, which is how I know more things than people who just do a regular eight to five and do 10 different things. Mm. I do 10 different things, but I work all the time. Like starting the blog. That's work. Make no mistake. That is a lot of work. And I put oh, yeah. a lot of time into it. And why? Because I wanted to learn how to do it. And then once I learned how to do it, I wanted to learn how to do it better. And once I learned how to, when I got to be like, it's the most trafficked blog in the world based, you know, that's not a business. You got to keep it up. I got to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. That's the challenge. I mean, that's, that's a, some people have figured out that I'm competitive, but I'm not competing against other people. For me, it's how can you become the best at what you do? Yeah. And I think our office is full of people that. I think that small offices tend to kind of grow in that manner. Like people either get locked in and they leave because they're like, done it. I need something new. I need a new challenge. Or people forge their own path and they take their own responsibility. They take on new, you know, they take Mm. some little opportunity. You get your toe in the door and you like jam the door open and just say, I'm going to do all of this. Yeah. That seems to be what happens a lot of times in, in small firms. Yep. So when I was at the last firm, it was I was middle management. And can I just tell you how much I hate middle management? I don't know. This was about 15 years ago. Okay. All so right. I would have been 35 years old. All Still right. 10 years yeah. older than you are changed. now. <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. Let me just put it this way. So I hate middle management. And, and in some ways, middle management, well, it's just like what it sounds like. Not at the top, not at the bottom. But I was subordinate to the partners uh, in the firm, but I was technically above the rest of the operational staff, you know, the people mm-hmm. that, that did the drawings. But middle management's an important role, but I think the idea with middle management, at least where an architectural firm is considered, you're being groomed to take that next step. Yeah. And that's something we talked about. We're grooming you to become executive level, you know, partner level kind of stuff. The thing that makes it so painful is you have all the responsibilities of the top level. Yeah. And you're being compensated like the operational That's level. Payoff. Yep. Right. So, and I was locked in that role for 10 years. Well, I loved the job and I loved, I really liked the people I worked with. I hated that part of it. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that's why I ended up leaving. But everything else about that job was fantastic. So, as a 35 to say 43, 44 year old person, mm-hmm. I did everything at that job. I didn't do billing. I didn't write proposals, really, and I didn't do billing because we actually were at a size where we had somebody else who did that. Like, we had an accountant that worked for us. You don't need the architect to do the billing. That was the premise, right? Yeah. Makes <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Probably a good thing. But my days, I mean, I would start at 6. I'd get to the office 7. I might swing by a job site on my way into the office, and then I might mm. end up having to write some meeting minutes. Then I'd go to a client 
you know, a job site, you know, have a meeting with a client, do some design work in the afternoon, get on the phone with the contractor, process some pay applications, go have a meeting down to the city. I rarely stayed in my seat for a day. And that was the period of time, which you're starting to get to now to where I didn't work on one thing all day long. I worked on 12 different things on seven different jobs every single day. And that's a skill set that takes some time to learn. I mean, you have to constantly reevaluate and reprioritize what needs to happen. How can you be, how can you be succinct, Hmm. which is a tall order for me, let's be honest. And what you're going through now, so you're working on the biggest project the firm's ever had. Yeah. And even though you're two and a half years out of school, you're really put into a project manager role. You're leading a team of other people. Yeah. Basically kind of coordinating and then trying to establish some, like you were saying, priorities is kind of the biggest thing and trying to like piecemeal what needs to get done when, then, you know, and especially now we have the sort of fast track method that we're using, trying to get parts of the drawing out to the contractor who came on early. It's kind of like figuring out, you know, what's going to lead us to the best possible end, you know, doing these little things, parts of the construction set, you know, how are they going to pull it all together in the end? And I, don't have the experience more toward like the end doing the like construction administration and everything. So it's kind of like, I think I know what I'm doing. So I'm kind of just going with what makes sense. It's kind of a, you just take what you know and go with it. I think that's kind of interesting. I, I hadn't thought to add that to my bullet point of topics to kind of review tonight, but yeah. it's the idea that you do what you think is right. Yeah. Right. So Michael has this phrase, Michael Malone. He has this phrase that he likes a lot. His management style is he likes to manage people the way that he likes to be managed, which is Mm. tell me where the goal line is and let me get there. I don't need you to tell me all the different steps. Yeah, I don't need you to tell me how to do it. I Mm -hmm. just need to tell me what needs to be done and then I'll go do it. And that works when you have superstars. If if nobody tells me what to do or how to do something, I'm going to be okay. It's it's in my nature just to roll my sleeves up, figure Figure out how to do it and Mm -hmm. move forward. And the things that I don't know how to do, I'll I'll find the people that can tell me the answer. Oh, yeah. I don't have a problem telling somebody I don't know how to do something. You know, that's that doesn't that's no skin off my back at all. There's a big difference between being ignorant versus being stupid. I can deal with ignorant, right? We, you can figure that out. Yeah. You're no longer ignorant, and I, we don't have any stupid people in our office. Mm. The difference is, is even though you're given this responsibility. And we trust you to get to where you need to be. You're surrounded by a bunch of people that are kind of keeping an eye on what you're doing. And you're not going to fall through a, a crack. Yeah. Right. For the most part. And that really should be how our office, because now we're at 11 people. You know, if you start kind of stratifying a typical office, you know, you have you have the operational staff. And they're, the, they're the heavy lifters in the office. Mm. And for all I know, they might be the vast majority of people that are currently listening to this sort of podcast. What opportunities do they get? What exposure do they get to other things than just their desk and their computer and their mouse and, you know, shop drawings and all that kind of stuff? Do they get FaceTime with clients? Do they get FaceTime with contractors? Well, in our office, the answer to that question is yes. You go to all those meetings. Yep. So you start to build a relationship. You learn how meetings are run. You learn how to handle yourself in a meeting. And these are skill sets for our office. You have to have them. It actually works counter to us to not let you be exposed to that. Yep. But I don't think that that's normal for the most part. I can recall a great number of my buddies trying to figure out how they can get in the room. The meeting's happening. What can I do 
that allows me to tag along with the partners and be at the table when all the conversations are happening. Hmm. That's what they want to know. And in our office, it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. I guess in the larger office, you kind of have to figure out a way either distinguish yourself or maybe force yourself to become part of the conversation or have something, some diagram that only you can explain or sort of explain. (laughs) There's an idea that, you know, you've, you've invested the time and you know so much about it. The partner, whoever the manager is kind of like, all right. Well, part of that's just making, yeah, it's making yourself, uh, invaluable. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the fact that, that they absolutely need, like you're so good at what you do that they don't need you to tell them indisposable. Indisposable. Yeah. Indisposable is the word. So that's a big part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So this has to do with if people are wondering, well, what is the day like? If you're an architect, what's your day look like? Yeah. I think that this is something that I've learned as I've gotten older, and I know so many more people that are in the profession, that your day is going to be based on the type of role you carve out for yourself within this profession. Mm-hmm. I know that I don't want to do one thing or one cluster of things in a, in one day, I need to do a lot more or I, I just, I, my attention's too short. I do better when I have to do juggle 10 things. Yeah. Solving multiple problems of different types rather than focusing yeah. on one thing you've solved hundred times. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. But when I look at say someone who's two years out of school, like what would I expect for them? Well, for the most part, I would say you're still forming your first arrows that are going to go in your quiver. You're mastering mm-hmm. the software. You're mastering the vernacular. You're mastering the jargon so that we can have a shorthand of a conversation that, that allows me to talk to you and says, this is what I need from you, and then not take five hours to do it. Yeah. Right? Because at a certain point, and I used to repeat this all the time, and it's it's one of the things that gets me really frustrated with some of the people. I, I've had this moment with a handful of people in our current office, and that is – is if I ask you, well, let me back this out because people in our office actually do listen to this podcast. I'll use this at my last office, right? Here's a perfect example. I would be trying to tell somebody what I needed and they would come back and say, well, you know, the truth is, is Bob knows what he wants, but he's not going to tell you. He wants you to figure it out for yourself. But then when you try to figure it out for yourself and you go bring it back to him, he's going to say it's not what he wanted and then he's going to, then he'll tell you what it is that you want. So the kind of the, the chatter was get him to tell you exactly what he wants from the beginning mm-hmm. and you'll get there a lot faster. And it really made me mad when I heard that. Cause I go, first off, you're losing out on a great learning opportunity here. Cause if all you're good doing is what somebody tells you to do, there's no growth in that. Yeah. It's so short sighted. But the other thing that really kind of rode me a little bit about that is, if I have to solve the problem in order to tell you exactly what to do, what do I need you for? You've already done all the work. <laughs> I've done the work. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be able to say, I don't know how to do this, but this is what we want. And then say, trust that you landing can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Well, for the most part, everyone in our office, that's what they're good at. That's part of the reason why, yeah. you know, you've learned to learn essentially. Yeah. But see, there are people, and we used to argue about this in my last office. So in my role of middle management, I was mm-hmm. kind of the mouthpiece, both speaking up the chain of command and down the chain of command, right? So so the partners would give me information, and I would disseminate it and kind of filter it down into the operational staff, which technically still included me, Yeah. right? I mean, I still drew. Still trapped, yeah. I, I was just like everyone else in the back, but 
I was just like closer to the, you know, that kind of partner level stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was privy to different sorts of conversations. Plus the fact that the two partners didn't know any computer software and everyone in the back knew nothing but computer software. And I was the only person that could speak both languages. Translator. I was the translator. One of the things that I thought was kind of, I don't know, kind of frustrating. But one of the things that I could not disagree with more is the senior partner. He would, he would beat people down and redline drawings to an inch of their lives. And it, forced everyone in the back they're so afraid of getting screamed at and yelled at and not getting it right that they stopped thinking about what his marks actually meant yeah and they would just do whatever it is he told them to do Mm. which on one hand this guy had the ability to like he knew everything about every single project in the office it was it was like amazing the guy was like a savant when it came to like no that details two and a quarter inches down you're like how would you know that you haven't looked at this job in three months but he knew all that stuff so when he would redline something it was gospel. He basically just handed it off, and when there was no conversation about why this is yeah. the way it is. Well, he also was a workaholic. Yeah. I mean, I think I work a lot. He worked all the time. So when I would show up at 7 o'clock, if he wasn't already there, he was right on my heels. <laughs> and then when I left every day, he was still there. Yeah. And I know that he worked all the weekends. I mean, this guy worked all the time. And during that all the time that he was working, he would generate red lines and stay in front of the operational staff. Mm-hmm. And they would come in and say, here's the red lines you need to pick up. If he dropped a red pencil and it left a line on the drawing, that line would show up in the drawing somehow, right? Somehow they go, well, he put yeah. it here, so it must need to be here. They they would stop thinking about what he was trying to get them to do. So all of his coffee stains became oculi. I mean, it was crazy. It's right in there. And I go, you're not making them better, right? You're not teaching them how to do their jobs better because they don't mm-hmm. think for themselves anymore. Yeah. And I go, that's a problem. That's a problem for me. Teaching a man to fish. Teach him. See? Full circle. That's what you get here on this podcast. Uh... Full circle. In our office, and the way that I manage is, I want you to figure out stuff yourself. Because if I have to do it, I don't need you. Mm -hmm. What I try to do is take moments where I can teach you how to improve your skill set. Kind of kick you back into play. You know, if you're veering off course, I can say, no, that's not it. Move back over here. Here's what you need to think about. Yeah. But that changes as you move through your career. I mean, in a couple of years, you're not going to need that from me. Yeah, it's just learning the direction. Essentially, you have to kind of be able to think in bigger and bigger pictures, essentially. Well, it's, ex- it's the exposure, out. right? You yeah. just haven't been doing this long enough to have seen what happens when you go on a job site and you see X. Mm-hmm. So part of it is there is value to the guy who's been doing this yeah. for years. He's seen it this many ways and then this many variations. So as a catalog of and they know. skill. Yeah, that's right. So it's going to evolve for you two and a half years out of school. You have pretty good experience, I think, for... Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I mean, you have friends that are your same age. Do they have the same sort of opportunities that you're getting? No, I was just going to mention that one of mine, you were talking about big firms earlier, he had to fight for the opportunity to um, do like, uh, like we're taking supplementary instructions, those kind of things, like dealing with contractors. He had to fight to be able to do that. Just like do anything with that. And so he does, that's half of what he does now is just kind of answer some of those supplementary instruction questions. Right. Because he needed that for one of his uh, IDP hours or whatever. That's crazy. That's crazy on more than one level. He's been fighting it. He's been fighting for this for like a few months. Like just trying to find a way to get in. Do you guys sit around and have a couple beers and he goes, you're so lucky, Landon. That's exactly what happens every time it gets brought up. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't do that. 
I did. I had to do wall sections my first day, and he's like, I f-, he was like, I finally got to do wall sections the other day. I was like, oh okay. It starts. Nice. It starts to paint a different kind of. And I, yeah. I, I'm not trying to suggest that we're the greatest firm ever. No, it's just a different. You know, they just work differently. You kind of have to figure out. And that's what they think. He made. He actively sought that opportunity. Like he knew he wanted to do that, so he found a way to do that in his firm. And now he has that under his belt, and he can move around more and take on more things. Well, that speaks well for him. Right. You see the opportunity, you try to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Because I will say, as someone who's been in that operational leadership level, is that I have a responsibility for trying to make sure that you're growing and evolving and becoming a better employee because your skill set's improving. Yeah. But you have a responsibility as well to communicate back to me the things that you need. Mm -hmm. You have to have an active role in guiding your career. Otherwise, it won't go anywhere well it'll go where i need it to go not yeah. necessarily where you want it to go exactly sometimes that might align mm-hmm. out more more great but sometimes it won't okay so let me ask you this you are a 20 early 20 mid 20s footloose and fancy free gentleman right. um so you tend to leave so in our office we don't we don't really grind it out mm-hmm. right so so you sh- you roll in the office at eight o'clock with your one and three quarter cup of coffee <laughs> You work. Yeah. Half the time you go home for lunch because you could hold your breath and get home. Yeah. Stroll on go over there. Go make a turkey wrap or whatever it is They're that delicious. you're eating. Play with your cat. <laughs> and then you come back to the office after your lunch break. Mm-hmm. And then you work until six o'clock when we when it's the end of the workday, for the most part, and you leave. Yeah. Right? We don't, we don't have a big overtime schedule in our yeah. office. I get done when I need to get done. So what do you do then? What what happens next for Landon Williams? Well, generally it's going home and uh, doing some of those Blue Apron cooking things. It's a lot of cooking involved. You're such a man of leisure. Yeah. So, you know, get home, prepare a meal, which usually takes about an hour, an hour and a half. And it's kind of like watching something. That seems like a long time to make a meal. But that's your activity. Yeah, we get to, you know, de thaw things and, you know. Cut it up slowly. We aren't. We make a. We make an event out Do of it. Do you thaw? Thawing means you freeze. Thaw it. You said dethaw. Thaw dethaw. You're, you're freezing. We re dethaw the <laughs> thaw. No, but yeah. So it's generally we do a lot of cooking. I think. What about I'm video games? About it. You play video games, don't you? Or is that kind of just? I just got a new video. game. I haven't played a lot lately, just because I I get home and I just I'm tired and I just lay there. I know you have been dragging. I got Red Dead Redemption. I've two. heard I've heard about it. What? Really? Yeah. Wow, I'm surprised. Have you got to the part where you shoot the grizzly bear? I got killed by a grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> I did I got killed by it and he never came back. Yeah, no, I I know oh, you're of, in the loop. I know right, some I'm stuff. proud of you. Yeah. Because uh, in the past you just watched YouTube videos. <laughs> no, I save that for Fridays. Actually, when we have, you know, get off at noon. Then you go like home. My, my YouTube day. No. But yeah. No, and then also, you know, I'll do like, I'm just thinking about stuff I have to do this week. Like, I need to go... Actually, right after this, I need to get a trophy for our uh, AIA event we're doing tomorrow. We're doing the Firmly Feud. Yeah. So I'll be having to help run that tomorrow. And Okay, so our office, the way we function, mm-hmm. not only do we emotionally encourage you to participate yeah. in AIA events, mm-hmm. we financially enable that to happen. We give you... I mean, we pay for everything. Yeah. And we give you time off from work to participate. We think that's kind of important to round you into a better human being in mm-hmm. lots of ways. But it doesn't have to be AIA stuff. It could be anything. Because, you know, a typical day in the life of an architect, 
doesn't end when you leave the office, mm. right? There's there's other activities that go on. I can tell you my, you know, I, I don't think there's hey, a, What's your typical day after you roll back home here? Well, uh, I work because <laughs> I go, I didn't, because there's so many things during the day that I didn't get done because mm-hmm. I was telling you guys about things like the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Right? Oh, yes. You know. Yes. Yeah. So I come home, engage with my family, That's but good. almost every single day I pull out my laptop after dinner and I do more work almost mm-hmm. every single day. And now a lot of that might be blog related. It might be answering emails that okay. I, you know, cause I get so many emails from people oh, saying, yeah. how does this yeah. work? Or what do I do here? Should I put shutters on my house? I don't want to be an architect anymore. You like how I kind of yeah, said that? Like, like I just kind of... I'm sure you get it a lot, though. I mean, it's a kind of a... Everyone questions it to some extent. I get a lot of that. But it's not something you want to... You know, if you're doing work work at work, <laughs> it's not one of those things that, you know, you have to come back to later on. You want you want to answer those people. You just don't want to... Well, they don't, no lie. one asks yes or no questions. Yeah. Right? So if I'm really killing it in an hour, I might get 15 emails done. Mm-hmm. And I get more than that every single day. So, I mean, no matter what I do, I'm behind. I cannot keep up, right? Yeah. So almost every single night when I come home, I respond to emails, right? Just to get, a, even if it's just a couple. Like right now, I'd like to be watching the football game that's on TV. But I can't do it because I got stuff I got to do, like record this podcast. But the, the, the activities that I'm involved in now have evolved from when I was your age. You mm-hmm. know, I don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a committee at the AIA that I haven't chaired but then I, I go, I've done it. I don't want to keep doing it. I don't want to go, oh, I'm the chair of the home tour committee again. Yeah. Ten years later, I've kind of done it. I want to do something else. So yeah. I spend a lot of time. I'm probably on a half dozen executive boards, mm-hmm. editorial boards. Um, you know, I just uh, got asked to be on the advisory council for the University of Texas School of Architecture. Yeah. There's things that come along and there's obligations that come along when you agree to do those things. Mm-hmm. So I don't deal with that at the office a lot. So a lot of times that's part of what my evening is. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I work all the time. I mean, the blog is extracurricular. I do it cause I want to do it. I don't have to do it. Yeah. The AI stuff. I do it because it helps me stay in contact with people who don't work in my office. Right. It's a way for me to be connected. Uh, but I do a lot of things that aren't for the benefit of other architects. I think architects spend too much time with each other. That is very true. They need to that is one thing make is some other kind of, friends. <laughs> That's what I liked about like the friends I got in school. Like I didn't have a lot of architecture friends. Not a lot. I'd say that I had <laughs> I had other friends outside of studio. That's okay. That's a better which way was, to put uh, it. You know, it's like you got to make a heterogeneous mixture here, guys. I agree. Go get some friends that do karaoke on Tuesdays. You know what? And work in the biomedical field. That's right. Find some somebody yeah. else to hang out with occasionally. I agree with that. I think that's an important thing. But I do think it's important to include extracurricular activities into your every typical day because mm-hmm. I think it's important to show people that you can be an architect and take on outside interests. I mean, I like to work, but I also like being at home. <laughs> in my job and in our office, mm-hmm. I think we can actually do both. Even when we get really busy, you know, you don't have to give up everything to do what we do for a living, but there's some dedication involved. Um, Can you think of of any pursuit that's worthwhile doing 
that doesn't require some additional sacrifice and dedication just beyond regular working hours? No. Because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll venture a guess that if you could, there's probably other things that would benefit from your time and energy. Yeah. Everything that's worth doing takes, it's, it's hard. The harder it is, almost the more worthwhile it becomes. Yep, it's very true. So you know what that means. What does this mean? It's in my spare time. In my spare time. I'm just going to change the jingle every time. <laughs> that sounded like a, a 70s sitcom <laughs> jingle. Full house. Yeah. I don't know if we can say Need some upbeat kind of. <laughs> okay, so are you excited that we're doing an IMST segment this recording? I'm ready for it. You are ready? I'm so excited. I'm about to burst. Uh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you go first. All right. I'm first. I don't know what it is. Spare time. That's why I love it. I gave you a hint earlier. I wasn't listening. Okay. It's it's not atypical. All right. My spare time actually happened uh, Sunday. So yesterday. What, today? Yeah. Yesterday. So Sunday. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That time is not going by very fast. Well, we did so lose. We, were, an, do we, we gained an hour. Oh, that's right. That's what happened. That's why you're off. Dang it. Daylight savings. Daylight savings. So me and buddies were hanging out in Austin this past weekend. But you know, everyone wakes up on Sunday, gets some tacos, and then plays board games course so we played this new board game which is awesome so you're playing board games in the morning yes yeah and in your you know, was hungover there, stupor i was like was there drinking involved no it was sunday everyone was leaving <laughs> you don't act like it's sunday After you don't know from church we don't drink on sundays no <laughs> yeah okay no, but okay so this board game i never heard of it and it's one of those like overly complicated board games so i was learning it uh the name of the game is Rising Sun or The Rising Sun. I can't remember which one it is. But uh, the artwork is like amazing for this game. First of all, I just kind of like set the stage. And we'll send, we'll send you photos and show you what it looks like. But it's really well done artwork. And essentially the concept is you're one of these five or six factions in feudal Japan. Um, and so you, you have these sort of abilities in the beginning. And then you have to like move yourself around the board and strategize. You get all these like there's all these random variables coming in. So I... I don't understand the game still, and I lost terribly. Um, Shocking. But it's it's kind of like one of those games. We got it really into video game or not video games, board games. We played a lot of Catan or Settlers of Catan, my fifth year in school, which is a very simple game once you understand it. And there's only a few or f- maybe three or four strategies, like main strategies. But games like this, like I don't know if you ever played Puerto Rico. That's another board game, which is super complicated. No. Um, but it just seems, and it's really, you know, it looks like a really cool game. It's I really know cool I am without words. It was, it was awesome. It was hilarious because the the person who brought the game, this game is not inexpensive. It's like a hundred dollars for this, like the whole set and everything. And he has the expansion pack. And he brought it. He brought on it the plane. from like Virginia. Brought it down for us to play. Sweet. I'm Mary. glad he did. You're thinking is it going to be on your Christmas list? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it was way too complicated. But he was like explaining all the thin rules, and he's like, "But, but, then, but if you have this, blah, 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 and then you have this." I hate those games. And don't don't forget about your victory points and plus your Ronin characters, which come into battle phase. I'm so out. I'm out. It was hilarious. I'm out. It, it was just funny. Just like eventually got to the point where like I didn't understand what was happening, and I was just losing. I was like, "All right, I hate this game." But that, that sounds like yeah. from the very beginning that <laughs> moment happened. It was hilarious trying to learn it. Okay, well that's great. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Got some tacos, went down to Austin. It's a great city. It was pretty great. Went out yeah. Saturday night, probably did a bunch of stuff that 
your parents wouldn't approve of. Absolutely not. Yeah. Sorry, Mima. Okay. In my spare time? Yes. I was going to say, like, it's not nearly as exciting as what you did, but it's probably way more exciting oh, than yeah. what you did. Uh, okay. All right. Um, so I rebuilt the damper flue and cleaned my chimney. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> And I'm saying that that's better. That's more exciting. You than probably what had you a did. couple beers too. No, I had no beers. Oh, this was also Sunday morning. Okay, what I did. All right, because you know I'm realizing that if I sit around too much, you know, it's like all I think about is like, oh my god, I want to sit around. All I want to do is sit around, and do nothing. That sounds like heaven. Mm-hmm. And then if I actually do it, I feel like garbage. Yeah, I think I need guilty. I, you feel I guilty. I, I need therapy. I think is what it is. Yes. Like, why can't I be happy with the thing that I want? I want this. I get it. I don't want it. Contentment is nothing. You need to learn how to, what is it? Meditate. Yes. I need to align my chakras. So Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I cleaned my chimney, rebuilt the damper. And I thought halfway through, this would have made a great blog post, but I didn't start. So I, I I missed all the beginning photos Uh, and I'm not going back to fabricate it. There's a whole like, you know, setting it up. I mean, it's like, here's the before and here's the after. Documentation. That's what I was looking for. You got to document it. Good thing you brought your thesaurus. Right. Thanks to the thesaurus. Thanks, the SARS. You're the best. What I really thought we should talk about mm-hmm. in my spare time, which was kind of in your spare time too, is I've been spending a lot of time making this podcast legally more legitimate. Yep. Which you have played a big role in. You yeah, know, it's not a small step. We actually had to set it up as a business. Yeah. Uh, going through and figuring out what type of business is the best based on like what kind of money is coming in. So doing a lot of research like, which is better, an LLC, S-Corp, yeah. just a regular corporation. Wanting, what is involved in making those entities and then what governmental organizations you have to go through and then what other, you know, you have to go through the state to establish the corporation and then to the federal government to change it to an S-Corp and file for your, because we're technically employees for ourselves. We have to get an employment identification number for ourselves, even though we own the company and then establishing who owns what shares and yeah. It's where the business lives and all this stuff. It's not. Which is my house. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Which is crazy because there's so many moving parts to it. Yeah. Like what are the tax implications? Like who is actually, where's the income go? I don't yeah. love doing it. And you know, the thing is in true architect fashion, we didn't just like hire somebody else to do it. Oh yeah. I just or like, we're going to do this ourselves. It. I actually listened to like three or four other podcasts <laughs> just to figure out what to do. Yeah. Right. Cause you kind of go, well, I don't want to just. I don't want to spend $400 to pay someone else just mm-hmm. to tell me what it's supposed to do. Yeah. I would rather learn something along the way, find out why I should do, what are my options, what makes sense, and then you make an educated decision. Yeah. That's a very architect way to solve a problem. Yeah, we got it done. Yeah. So we got that all set up. And the reason why we had to set this up as a business is because I am happy to announce that building design and construction and professional builder magazines are the official media partner of the Life of an Architect podcast. Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> so BDNC, as it's affectionately known, is a trade publication and website serving the information needs of designing, building, and owning firms in the non-residential construction industry, mm. which is why we're also partnered up with professional builder magazine because that focuses more on the residential marketplace Mm -hmm. which makes sense because we have a pretty big foot in the residential marketplace i'm really excited by that because i've been doing this for 10 years i won't say it's become boring but it's just like all the things we got through talking about i need i need new challenges i need Mm -hmm. new 
I need to boldly go where no no, <laughs> no man has tread. Okay, that's a wrap. All right. Thank you for being with us for episode 12, A Day in the Life of an Architect. Pretty sure this was our best episode ever. And for that reason, I really want you to take 30 seconds and head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star golden blue sapphire rating if you haven't already. It actually makes a difference and will definitely put me in the right frame of mind. Be sure to visit the original life of an architect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cheers. Adios. I don't know if it's going to make the cut for the podcast, but I'm going to have to put the call out to people to say, if you've been or you live there, give me heads up. Shoot me the deets, man. Give me the deets. Not that, the beats. The deets. I'm sure that that's actually, the deets actually means something in their language. Mm. Do you know what language they speak? No. Oh, my God. Do you know where Helsinki is? It's over there. That's it's right. in Europe. Over yonder. Okay, I'm not even going to... Carpetbaggers. No. All you need to know. But I had this one woman. Very nice. I met a lot of really nice people. A couple weird people. But not weird like... They're cannibals. (laughs) Not that odd. (laughs) They're not that odd. One morning, we're in the hotel lobby. We're, We're getting ready to leave. And this Italian woman... She's young, young woman. Architect. Mm-hmm. She's just looking befuddled. And like, she wasn't moving and I needed to get around her. And so we we're kind of doing this, like, you know, trying to get around Is her. Like, like packed lobby? No, it wasn't. It shouldn't have been hard. Yeah. All right. And she looked at me and she said, look in her face like, where am I? <laughs> and I was like, it? and I go, are you doing okay? <laughs> right. And I go, did you sleep okay? And then she made even a weirder face at me. God. And I was like, okay, I'm good. And I just left. Right? <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm out of this one. Well, she came up to me later that day and she said, do you know this morning when you asked me if I'd slept? Okay. She goes, that was a really personal question. And I was like, uh, hmm? I didn't really care. <laughs> I was just trying to, I was trying to be nice. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, I've since figured that out. <laughs> and so then she was nice, but for like a while she thought I was a super creep. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, mm-hmm. She's like, you are weird. Why would you want to know? You shouldn't ask me. You don't know me. You don't know me. Don't ask how I I was sleeping. Kind of like, how's he going? How'd you sleep? I don't know what kind of information you thought I might be trying to get out of you. Was it George Washington Carver who invented like 110 ways to use peanut butter or something? Peanuts. Peanuts. (laughs) Peanut butter. Peanut butter was, you know, 10 of them. That was number one. Crunchy. Sort of crunchy. Those are types. Creamy. (laughs) No, you're still, we're still on. We're still on. Oh, we're hot. We're still hot. We're hot. I was like, my thing was drooping. No, that sounded terrible. Do you see a doctor about that? Clop that off. <laughs> <laughs>